Uh, Sherry was going to be here today, but uh, did not actually make it. She's not feeling good today, but you can you can pray for her. Uh, the rain is unexpected. I didn't expect that, so sometimes it may get louder. I may have to get louder today, but hopefully you can endure that as well. Uh, I want to give you a little inside window into kind of the style of teaching that we have desired to do over the last uh, several years here at Axis. You know, there's uh, there are sometimes in church you'll experience what's called application kind of teaching, where it's a little bit of scripture and a lot of application. But I, I decided a few years ago that we were going to be sort of content rich, that because of the amount of biblical illiteracy in the world today, that we would, at Axis, we would elevate the Word of God and we would teach the, just the Scripture and, and there would be times for application, but there would be, be a lot of content. And so uh, that's sort of our approach to this thing. In fact, just look at the last few months, you'll see that. We looked at the second coming of Christ and, and the book of Revelation and heaven and the lineage of Jesus, and now we're in this verse-by-verse study in the book of James. And in fact, we're in week six, and we're still in chapter one of James. I mean, so we have really kind of walked through this together. But as I got ready for today's message, there are just some messages that are just so obvious, just so clear, that the challenge is not content, the challenge is conviction. And that's one of these messages. That as I read the passage today, it's fairly self-explanatory. And so a lot of it will be, God, will you just show us in our lives where we are not measuring up to the Word of God? And so that's what we're going to attempt to do today. James chapter 1, verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion, and he did a little takeoff on that word, all right? He's not talking about some dead orthodoxy. He's talking about real faith, real religion, real faith in God that our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We're receiving all kinds of messages every day from the world many times a day. And as Christians, we are called not to be stained or not to be polluted by those messages. In other words, we're to act and live as the way God wants us to live, not as the way the world teaches us to live or to think. And one way we get polluted is in how we view people. So James chapter 2, verse 1, with that being the stage, James chapter 2, verse 1 says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes in your meeting wearing gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit there by by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are not not they the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. 
But if you show favoritism, your sin are, are, and are convict, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Don't show favoritism. Now the word favoritism literally says, don't be a respecter of persons. Don't assume that one person is more important than somebody else based on their status, their popularity, their fame, their wealth. Don't treat people differently. And I love what verse 1 says because it says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. And that phrase really reminds us what is most important. If you believe that right now in heaven there is our glorious God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, right now being worshipped, He is in an approachable light, we would be in awe. In fact, the Bible says that if we saw him in our human bodies, there would be so much uh, just majesty and glory and brilliance that we would literally die if we saw him uh, today. Now, if you believe that there is a glorious Lord in heaven, we should not be a respecter of persons because we should understand of all people as Christians that there, there is not just God and then levels of people. There is God. God, the glorious God, and then there's a bunch of little people here walking around on the earth, okay? There is God, and there is mankind. There is us. And when you put that in perspective, you, you're reminded of the, of the words of Isaiah, which said that why are you mindful of a man, or why do you consider a man when you don't even know if he's going to take another breath? Why do we idolize man? As believers, we should not be people on levels based on popularity or prestige or, or fame or power or anything else, we should simply see God and His glory. And in light of that glory, we should see through His eyes on how He sees people. Now, in my pride, I like to think that I'm not a respecter of persons. I like to think that when it comes to somebody famous, I go, eh, I don't even want to bother him. It's no big deal. Some people are very enamored by famous people. In fact, when George Bush came several years ago to the VOA park. You remember about 30,000 people came, and, and it was, he was running for a second term, and somehow we got VIP tickets, me and a group of people. And, and, and so there we were, and he had his speech, and the thousands of people, and they put us on a line, and they said, listen, the president is going to come. I'd never met a living president. Well, I never met a dead president either, but I'd never met a president before. I'd never met a president. I did meet Dan Quayle one time at a book signing many, many years ago. That tells you something, right? I don't, I don't even know. I was like, hey, Dan. Uh, but anyway, so here it comes down there. Everybody, Mr. President, Mr. President, Mr. President. Hundreds of voices, Mr. and he was shaking hands and being polite and walking down through the line. And he got close to me, and I was right there on the line, and I went, George! It was true. He stopped. He looked at me, and I said, George, we believe you're doing a good job. Thank you for representing our country so well. I said, I'm a local pastor. And here's what he said to me with all these tens of thousands of people around. He said, thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you, you're doing, your work is important. And then he said, 
please pray for me. And that was a moment of realness. And I'd like to say in my pride, that kind of captures how I like to view famous people. He's just George. But then again, I've met some other famous people that I get tongue-tied with. <laughs> I, I process through what I'm going to say. I wait in a line to meet A.J. Green with Jason, and I'm thinking the entire time, what am I going to say to A.J. Green? It's like, George Bush, A.J. Green, I don't know. What, what happened? What happened? And the very fact that I'm even processing, what am I going to say to A.J. Green, tells me something about me. That perhaps I am a respecter of persons. The Bible says we, we couldn't be, it shouldn't be that way. I mean, in the church, it's going to happen everywhere else, but in the church it ought not be that way. There are certain people, no matter where they go, that they're always going to get special treatment. And there are people, no matter where they go, that they're always going to be rejected. Now, that's expected in the world, but friends, in the church, it should be different. If you were a famous person and you were coming to church, how would you want to be treated? Famous people might come in, and, and, and if it were you, maybe you'd just want to have a relationship with the glorious God of the universe. Maybe you don't want to be idolized in this place because it so, should be different than out there. What if during the Masters tournament here locally, Rafael Nadal came into our worship service to celebrate with us the great and glorious king? What would you do? How would you react? Ooh, did you see who I sat next to today? It's Rafael Nadal. Are you kidding me? This is awesome. There'd be a lineup behind him. How many people would be gathered around him? Would you sign my Bible? Because really, I would love to have your signature. Seriously, this is awesome. We have to see people through God's eyes. In the same way, there are people who are typically rejected by the world, you know? It's kind of the same way at church. Somehow, what we experienced in high school somehow sort of bleeds over into what we do in our church at times. And someone who's not popular then, somehow they don't get much attention either. And we somehow have to get past that. We should not allow people who are famous in the world's eyes to get special attention because of their wealth and fame. And at the same time, we ought not neglect people that the world neglects. We have to love God and respect all people. I mean, imagine this. If you're in your seat today in this morning and in our worship experience comes Brad Pitt and he sits down next to you on your left side. Now, ladies, how many of you are like, wow, that is Brad Pitt. Are you kidding me? This is amazing. You know, you'd be like, hey, husband, just chillax. This is Brad Pitt, right? I mean, this is crazy. How distracted would you be? And what if on the other side of you, Beyonce came in, and she sat next to you on the other side. Would that distract you? Now imagine this. Brad Pitt is on your right. Beyonce is on your left. That would be a very distracting moment. But let's imagine this. That in that very next moment, the glorious God appeared on stage. I mean, in all of his glory. And he somehow gave us an ability to to see him in kind of a veiled way so that we don't all just die in that moment, literally. And he is here. The glory of God is in this place. And when he is there, he is no respecter of persons. And he allows us to have a glimpse of him. And friends, at that point, 
Will Beyonce and Brad be a distraction to you? At that point, suddenly it is not going to matter who's seated on your right and who is on your left because the glorious God would be in your presence. Because when the glory of God is present, we would be so overwhelmed. We would have our sights so much on the glorious Lord Jesus that everything else would just pale in comparison. You see, friends, this is the problem. That when we take our eyes off the glorious Lord and we focus our eyes on people, we become respecters of people. We put people on levels. We put people on pedestals. We, we put people in their place, we think, when it comes to someone who we think doesn't fit in. If a famous person comes in, we say, oh, we're going to idolize them. But what happens if a poor person comes in? Someone who maybe doesn't look or act like the rest of the crowd. About 12 years ago now, I was preaching at a church in Liberty Township. It was a large church. And I was teaching on this passage in the book of James. That if somebody comes in among you that is poor and you treat them differently, you blaspheme the name of God. And so I thought, well, I could teach that or I could kind of express that. And so our worship pastor, Tom, was well known in the area for being an outstanding male actor. And he had been in several musicals and had received several awards. And so he had this real uh, hair wig that looked really cool. And he and I got together and I said, Tom, here's what I want to do for this passage. I want to dress up like somebody who would not normally come to our church in the suburbs. I want to be a homeless guy. I want to come into church and let's just see what happens. And so on Saturday we met together. I went to Goodwill. I got some clothes that looked like they might be worn by a homeless guy. Uh, Tom and I on the back porch of his apartment because we really wanted the clothes to smell authentic. We bought a pack of cigarettes and we sat on the back of the porch and we smoked cigarettes and we blew the smoke into this bag and we covered it. Uh, I thought, how funny would it be if like some of our church members are like out there and here's the worship pastor and the lead pastor out smoking cigarettes and blowing into a bag on the back of a porch. It would have been quite embarrassing, I think, but we wanted it to be authentic. I got to his house at 5 o'clock in the morning on Sunday and put the wig on. He made my eyes look like smoker's eyes. They were dark. We put on some sunglasses. We put a beard, but it was real hair. It was like we glued in every hair, so it looked really authentic. And so I, I came to church that day. I decided to bring a Bible with me because I didn't want to be completely intimidating. And so I came into the door, and I saw the greeter there. Nobody knew about this at all, and except for Tom, the worship guy. And I had my Bible, and I could see through my glasses as I was getting close to the door that there was a guy named John that I knew well. And John, I saw him nervously kind of step back and then sort of with resolve in his mind step forward as if to say, I'm going to greet this guy. And he did. And he greeted me. He said nervously, welcome to church. Is this your first time here? It obviously was. I'm so glad you're here today. Can I get you some coffee? I sort of grunted out a, yeah, in a voice that wasn't that recognizable. He took me over to the coffee area, got me a coffee. I had my Bible, I had my coffee. I looked like everybody else with my Bible. My, well, everybody else had a coffee. A lot of people didn't bring their Bibles. But anyway, that's another story. But anyway, I had my Bible, my coffee, and I go in. He sits me back here in the back. And 
And I sit down, and in a moment that I will never forget, Mike and Christy were there that day, and they were two of our really good greeters. And Mike sat down, but there was a whole row of empty seats. He sat three seats away from me. I joked with him about that later because I really did stink. He left a seat next to me available for his wife, Christy. And uh, <laughs> Christy came in, and she sat down. So sweet. And I was shaking, literally shaking. I was embodying this persona of this individual. And as the music was going on, I, I would open my Bible, but I was visibly shaking. I smelled terribly on purpose. And in a moment that I will never forget, Christy, in the middle of the worship song, leaned over to me and said, Boy, that coffee sure smells good. Wish I had a cup. When the teaching time came, it was time for me to get up to the stage, and everybody's looking around like, where's he at? Is he napping? What happened? Where's Stephen? What's going on? And, and uh, I walked up to the stage out of my seat. Now, I'm a little surprised because we did have a security team then that were armed, you know, and I thought, I'm surprised those guys didn't take me out, right? But for whatever reason, that day, they, they, didn't, over, they didn't react, and I made it to the stage, and I stood there with my Bible, and I grunted out words kind of like this. This is my grandma's Bible. And I talked about how she taught me out of the Bible. I said, she read Matthew. I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty. And you gave me something to eat to drink, and I was a stranger, and you invited me in, and that day for a few minutes, I talked about what that James passage and the Matthew passage mean to me personally as an outsider, and I walked off the stage, and that was first hour. Uh, the worship guy got up after that and said, now nobody tell anybody if you figured it out, which many people had not figured that out, if you figure it out, don't tell anybody. Let's let them experience. Second hour was totally different. Same Bible. No coffee yet. I walked in. The greeters did greet me at the door. They didn't have a choice because I walked right past them. And they greeted me. No one said, would you like a cup of coffee? No one gave me a seat in the worship center. In fact, I sat out in the lobby. And I waited there just to see what would happen. I watched teenagers as they walked by and pointed and laughed at my direction. I, I had a guy come who sort of nervously tried to talk to me for about 30 seconds, but when he ran out of things to say, he just got up and left. He didn't know, and I wasn't going to let him off the hook, so he just walked away. When the worship service started, in a moment that I will never forget, the ushers, as they typically did, would close the back doors when the song started. And when the song started, they closed the doors. And there they were. And there I was, all alone. I watched as a couple people got out of the doors and went somewhere to a hallway. I didn't know where they were going at the time. I afterwards learned that a couple of the parents came to me and confessed that what they actually were doing were checking on their kids to make sure that I was not somehow hurting their kids. After two songs, I came walking into the worship center and sat by myself. And when the teaching time came, 
a long pause. I got back up. I walked to the stage. Same deal. This is my grandma's Bible. She taught me from this Bible. And she taught me Matthew. I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. And you invited me in. But you did not invite me in. And boy, you talk about, you could hear a pin drop. <laughs> oh man, I tell you. I walked off the stage that day with a new awareness about what it means to be an outsider. And so did our church. It changed the heart of our church that day to realize that when people, and I said this afterwards, friends, listen. I don't care who comes in this building. I don't care what they look like or what their spiritual background is or what mistakes that they have made or how far away they are from God or how close they are to God or how much they look like him or don't look like him, how much they look like you or don't like look like you. Everybody, always, every time, will always be welcome in this place. It is a lesson that we had to learn the hard way. And so do we zoom in on the people who we think are famous or rich or popular? And ignore the people that we feel like are not like us? Why are the world's rejects, not only rejects in the world, why are they rejects in the church? Do we show mercy? Is it a class system that stays in effect from high school into the rest of our life? Listen to verse 5. It says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the, those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he has promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is not the rich those who are exploiting you? Are not they the ones who are dragging you into court? Are not they the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Listen to me. Some of the very same people that we idolize in the world are the very same people that are slandering the noble name of our God. Brad Pitt stated he does not believe in God. He said he's partly atheist, partly agnostic. Lance Armstrong, who people idolized for a long time, obviously had a fall, took credit for his own healing from cancer and gave it also to the doctors, but certainly did not give it to God. Rafael Nadal, who I mentioned earlier, despite his Catholic upbringing, Sports Illustrated 2010, said God is a hard thing for him to believe. Akira Knightley from the Pirates of the Caribbean also does not believe in God, and I could go on and on and on, do a simple Google search of famous people who do not believe in God. It is quite extensive, and realize that the very same people that you are idolizing, on one hand, and if they came walking in here, we would line up before the very same people that are blaspheming and slandering our God. God is associating himself with the rejects of the earth. We're rejecting often the children of God when we reject those who are typically the, the poor. Typically the poor are the ones who are more gladly open to a relationship with God. It doesn't mean that the wealthy cannot have that relationship. It just means it's more difficult. Because why? Because they think they're in control of their own future. They think they've got it all under control. They don't really need a God. But I tell you what, you go around the world to places that do not have stuff, and you're going to see a tremendous joy in God. It's just incredible. That's one of the reasons... I like going to places like El Salvador because here are a group of people that literally don't have much of anything depending on where you are in the country, and yet they have the greatest joy in the Lord. Um, 
And to update you on where we are there, check this out. These are the windows that you all purchased on the day we took up our offering at Christmas time and gave it. They're going to put those in here just upcoming. The doors are coming next, and thank the Lord, they're going to have two bathrooms as well. No more outhouse for that church in South Chapwa. And that's thanks to everybody here who gave to that for that day. So awesome for that. And I gave you a Facebook message last week that said Reuben and Regina, our pastor there, and his wife, young pastor and his wife, she did have her baby. They were very concerned about it. But here's a little picture, a little Allison, and she's doing great now. So just to update you on that. And, and here's what's going to happen in just a few weeks. We're going to have the opportunity as a church to sponsor 41 children from the Chow Chwapa Church in El Salvador so that we will have a relationship with them. We can send gifts to them when I go down in July again. And a few of you who want to go with me, uh, you're, you can do that too. We'll talk more about that coming up. Bottom line is, when the Bible says true religion is you take care of widows and orphans, that's what we're going to be doing in El Salvador as we care for those people. That is also the reason that this year our students, rather than going to a camp or a conference, which are also very valuable, by the way, we've decided that instead we're going to send our junior high and high school students as well as the sponsors to Appalachia, where I've gone the last two years, so that they're going to be serving all week long people who are in greater need. And what they're going to do during the morning is have their morning worship and their devotional time, but then they're going to go out and they're going to work hard, and they're going to get to know some people down there who have tremendous needs. Last year, we brought water to a guy, to his little shed, who had not had water in five years. That's what I'm talking about. And as these individuals, these students go and do that during the day, then they'll have time for supper and worship in the evening. And then guess what? After that, they're going back out into apartment complexes to go door to door to invite kids to a local park so that then they might have an opportunity to share some love of Jesus to kids who really don't have anything else in this world. What we're trying to do is teach our students a different perspective that it's not about them that it's about those who have need and there will be a responsiveness of those children because when you don't have much God is all you need and that's what we're doing this year friends if, if we just have to change our perspective if realize if, if somebody like Tom Cruise came in here this morning oh man this place would be going crazy Tom Cruise I mean I like Mission Impossible I like Top Gun. But do you realize that Tom Cruise stands in opposition to everything that we believe? His view of Scientology means that he does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And by the way, Tom Cruise needs Christ just as much as you do. And so we have to change our perspective and begin to see people not even through the eyes of judgment, whether it be status or popularity or even spiritual status. We have to see them through the eyes of what God would see them like, that they're a person who needs the tremendous mercy and love of God, and so are we. Verse 8 says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And then he goes on to describe what lawbreakers are. He says, if you break even one of God's laws, you've broken a, you're a lawbreaker and in, and in need of God's mercy. And if you don't believe me, just go through the list. I mean, the Bible says in the Ten Commandments um, that you shouldn't steal anything. Have you ever taken an answer off of a test paper somebody else's in high school? Well, you're a little lawbreaker, right? Have you ever, um, you ever stolen a piece of gum, or gum out of your mom's purse or, or uh, out of store? Or 
What about coveting? It says, well, don't, don't want something that somebody else has. You ever saw a car drive down and go, wow, I really need that car. Man, that's awesome. I'm coveting that car. You ever done that? You're, you're a lawbreaker, the Bible says. And I could go on and on. And here's the thing. You haven't just broken those laws. I haven't just broken those laws one time. We've broken them over and over and over again. And here's what this scripture says. Here's our motivation. Verse 12 says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Let me read that again. Judgment, the judgment of God without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Just let that land on you for a minute. The judgment of God without mercy, without what? Forgiveness, without seeing through the way God sees them, will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. You talk about a motivation for mercy. Well, we all need mercy. Because one of these days, the Bible says we're going to stand before the holy God, the glorious Savior. And when we stand before God at the end of time, the Bible in Revelation is very clear. We'll be judged on two things. Number one, what did you do with Jesus? Did you receive Christ as your Savior? Is he your Lord? Okay? And that's the book of life. Is your, book, is your name in the book of life? And, and some of you need to get that squared away. If you've never become a Christian, you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never been baptized, you've never repented of your sins, you never confessed him as Lord, you need to get that right. Okay, that's step one. That's the biggie. And step two is there will be two other books that really are, what did you do with the one and only life that I gave you, God's going to say? What was the good stuff and the bad stuff that you did? And listen, when he starts listing out things, the only defense I have is, God, I am, I am far, I'm the last person you need here. He's going to say, yeah, but you, you said yes to to the gift that I gave you, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus paid for your sin on the cross. And so I'm just going to show you mercy, Stephen. No, not guilty. On the, on, the charge of, on the charge of stealing, not guilty. The charge of coveting, not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. He'll do the same thing with you when you get number one right. <laughs> when you say yes to Christ. Okay? But boy, when he lists down through those things... God says he is not mocked. What you reap, you will also sow. And when that moment, when I receive the mercy of God, not only today but then, I am now reminded that not only will I receive that mercy, but who in the world am I to not extend that mercy to other people? Who am I as one who has received the mercy of God to not be able to extend the very same mercy to people who are rich and people who are poor, to people who are popular and people who are rejected, to people who are terribly sinful and those who are greatly saintly? Who am I not to extend the incredible mercy of our glorious Lord Jesus? And in fact, if I don't, he says I will be judged based on whether or not I showed mercy. I'm going to... God, just thank you for your mercy. At what point will we start to see people through God's eyes? At what point will we be so convicted by the Scripture and by our own need for mercy that we will start to see people the way that God sees them? Not as rich, not as poor, not as popular or famous, not as the world's rejects, not as horrible sinner or incredible saint but simply as people who are in desperate need of mercy. 
And the moment that we start to see people through God's eyes, this place will just explode because people will begin to know, man, this church is a church that sees people without judgment. Now, when I say that, I don't mean we approve everything that people do and we're just people who go, it doesn't really matter. You just do whatever you want. No. But it does mean we accept people right where they are because God has accepted us. So what I want to do is just have some time of prayer. It's time for you to pray personally. Allow the Holy Spirit to deep penetrate today in your heart so that you know and can be convicted by the things that need to be highlighted. Maybe there are people at work that you've been isolating or people in your home that you've been isolating. Maybe you are not a mercy giver, you're a judgment seeker. If that's you, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to deep penetrate into your heart today. And if you are someone who is a respecter of persons, who sees somebody famous and overreacts, not really processing all of what that means, I want to encourage you today to, again, allow the Holy Spirit to take a deep look into your heart today. So we're going to pray quietly, and then we're gonna, I'll pray for you. If you need to make a decision for Christ for the first time, like I talked about, I'll be standing right over here. You come talk to me. If you want to say yes to Jesus and get that first thing right, come talk to me. Or if you want somebody to pray with you, come talk to me. God, we just give you thanks for these next few moments of prayer as we allow the Holy Spirit to invade our hearts. glorious God and Savior, I pray today that we see through your eyes, we see with your heart, and that we are convicted by the scripture that penetrates deep into our heart and through our joints and our marrow and to our bones and to our soul and reminds us how we are to see other people the same way that you see us through the eyes of mercy and grace. And God, I pray that no matter whoever walks in here or whoever we interact with in the world, that we will interact with kindness, with respect, because all of God's creatures deserve respect and kindness. Every single one, no matter what they've done, no matter what they've become, they deserve to be seen through your eyes. Help us to be discerning as well, God. Help us to not be approving always, but to be accepting. We don't approve the behavior, God, but we we accept the people. Help us to be, God, people who extend your mercy to the world. And now we worship and honor you today. In Jesus' name.